or coffee and biscuits. You know, believe it or not, Malcolm and I would have coffee and biscuits and have long conversations. I miss that guy. He's a good, good amener during sermons. So, uh, you know, if you, if you hear something that just particularly rings you as true, we need a couple of new Malcolms here today. It gets the preacher moving a little bit, too. And thank you. Thank you. All right, so anyways, this morning we're starting a brand new series. Does anybody tell what season we're entering? Anybody? Oh, yeah. If you couldn't tell by the Black Friday, by all the stuff that's gone on, you know, people are itching. I, I even saw people around my neighborhood, um, they're, they're just itching to get those lights up before Thanksgiving now. It's almost sacrilege, you know, and, and I'm starting to see tree lots come up a little earlier this year. And I'm like, man, they're not going to last till Christmas. But um, people were itching to get into Christmas. And today we, we start our Advent uh, series looking forward to uh, the incarnation, the coming, the indwelling, the 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 birth of God in this world, Emmanuel, God with us. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this through different sections of Scripture. We're going to look in the Old Testament today, in the book of Isaiah, and we're going to kind of move forward all the way into the New Testament in the coming weeks. And today we're looking at this notion of Jesus' love revealed. Jesus is God. If God is love, then Jesus is love revealed. And we're going to look at some of these sections of God brings justice, and today that's going to be our main focus, is this focus of justice. Um, I, I had this whole intro to start with, but then I was thinking, when, when I was paying attention to some of this Planned Parenthood news and, and some of the shooting things that we've seen, um, and, and again, we don't know the shooter's motive, and we don't want to project a motive onto him, and the guy may have just been insane or crazy or something like that, but... You know, essentially, so many times we mistake justice, and we think we're doing God's justice, but really what we're doing is we're showing off our whole anger at situations in the world, and that's usually called revenge. Sometimes it's called wrath. You know, we show that off rather than God's justice. We have a mistaken view of what justice actually is. And so today we want to dig through some of these scriptures to show off what justice actually is. Yesterday, even, there was a situation I was upset at, and there's something, you know, we talk about all the time how we need to be trained into the likeness of Christ. We need to be discipled. We need to be disciplined into looking like Jesus. In other words, we need to get rid of our knee-jerk reactions that, that are sinful, and we need to move more and more towards the life of Jesus and, and look and sound a lot more like Jesus. Well, yesterday I got really upset about something. There, there was something that was really frustrating me, and my very first response was judgment and revenge. And in a way, I didn't even realize. I thought it was like this, oh, well, we'll just force this person to make a decision type thing. But in my very first response was judgment and revenge. And I even had to check myself and go, oh my goodness, like that's not justice. I, I studied all week. I, you know, I've been studying for this series, and I've been writing a little bit about justice, and I, and I looked back at my own reaction and thought, my own knee-jerk reaction was not justice. Justice is tough. Living out God's justice is difficult. But that's what we're called to do. So we're going to explore that a little bit today. If you have your Bibles, um, let me start this way. If you need a Bible, we have a Bible for you. Raise your hand and uh, Josh will bring around a Bible. If you don't have a Bible of your own, um, this one's for you. You get to take it home. Um, If you do have a Bible, you just forgot yours today, go ahead and borrow this and just give it back to Josh at the end of our service today. So if you need one, just raise your hand and he will bring that to you. We're going to be in Isaiah 42. We're going to look through the first... um, uh, nine verses of Isaiah 42. And I'm going to do this a little bit different today. If you have your outline, I'm going to give you the word first and then we're going to go through it. So the first thing we're going to look at today 
is God's justice is gentle. God's justice is gentle. That's not where I want God's justice to be, by the way. You know what I mean? Like, I want it to be like things exploding, and I want it to be like guys coming in with machine guns, and you're like, we're doing God's justice, you know, like a cool Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. Like, that's what I want God's justice to be. But when we look through the scriptures, loving justice is gentle. God's justice is gentle. I want to look, we're going to look at the first few verses of Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 3. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. So this is an early prophetic look at the coming servant. And we know this servant as Jesus. And there's a lot of reasons why we know this servant as Jesus. But this is an early look at the coming of Jesus. This is a prophecy. This is a look forward. And one of the things we have to remember at this point of the book of Isaiah is that the people of God are now in captive in Babylon for over 50 years at this point. And they're suffering in Babylon and, they, and in some instances, they're, they're doing okay, but they're suffering because they're not in their homeland. They're suffering because they're not near the temple. They're suffering because their people have died. They're suffering because they remember their own wickedness. They are suffering in this land, Babylon, and they don't want to be there. And so the justice that they're crying out for is a little bit of a different justice that God is coming to give. And so Isaiah begins by telling them about this servant who is coming and what he's going to look like. And already in the first few verses, we see that he's going to bring justice, that he will be a servant of justice, and it will be established to the nations more than just the little land cap of Israel, that God's justice will be broadened. And I love that, that it says that, um, that it says this in the first verse, it says, this servant is one who God delights. It says, my chosen one in whom I delight. And then it says, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Well, we know in Isaiah, I'm sorry, in the book of Matthew, right there in the beginning, when Jesus is right about to start his ministry, he gets baptized. This is all the way back in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. And we, we read this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water At that moment, heaven was opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and um, a light on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, whom I am well pleased. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 42. A servant in whom I delight, I will put my Spirit on him. And so we know that this servant that Isaiah is speaking of is, in fact, Jesus. And I love in the first few verses it talks about He's a rod that won't break and it won't bend. And that he, he's, um, what does it say? That um, he will not shout out or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering stick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. In faithfulness. I love this view of faithfulness. It's like this faithful, suffering servant. This guy who just keeps going and going and going, moving towards God's justice. I love this picture of Jesus. What Isaiah is telling his people is that as they are suffering in Babylon, 
As they are there suffering, the Messiah will come and also suffer on our behalf. The Messiah will also know the same exact pain that they are going through. That as they are crying out for justice, that justice will in fact come. As I read this passage, one of my favorite Martin Luther King Jr. quotes came to mind as I was reading this, and I decided to, to mention it this morning just because it's one of my favorites. And this was talking about a little bit of a different thing. He wrote this essay on nonviolence, and, and, he, and he wrote this. He said, and remember this was a very violent time that King was living through. He said, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure it. And I just was thinking about Jesus' capacity to endure suffering in that time matched the capacity of the Romans to dish it out, of the Jews to dish it out. And, you know, somewhere in there we find our life. That somewhere in there, God's justice isn't always that we don't suffer. God's justice isn't always that, we're, that, that we rise above the suffering or the hurt or the brokenness, but that, that little word of faithfulness that's in there in Isaiah 42, that we would be faithful just as the Messiah was faithful. It's tough when you look at it that way because, you know, like I said, our view of justice is coming in with an AK-47 and a helicopter repelling and, and blowing out the bad guys, right? Because of action movies. That's kind of our view of justice. But God's view of justice is far different. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that we see is Jesus lay out his new direction for justice on the earth. And one of the, things that, one of the words that we see really predominant in the Sermon on the Mount is this word righteousness. And this word righteousness is actually taken from the Old Testament word uh, of justice. And it's actually one of these that this sort of Jesus, is, Jesus uses this word to describe the justice that's talked about in the Old Testament. And so over and over and over again in, in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus lays out this new ethic and the new rules of his kingdom, what his kingdom looks like, he, he goes over and talks about, uses this word righteousness which is this restorative justice, a community of restoration. It's restoration, restorative justice. Jesus essentially looks at the way the Pharisees are living out their religion, and they are living out their religion in condemnation and punishment, in a real burdensome way. And one of the things that Jesus talks about is how heavy that load is, and that it's not justice or righteousness. That's one of the things that Jesus constantly points out. And he comes on the scene and he completely flips the Pharisees' religion on its head. And he says that justice or righteousness is a matter of the heart. It's in forgiving human relationships. I mean, if you want a guide to holiday meals, read the Sermon on the Mount. You know, a guide to holiday meals, that would be perfect. To just read the Sermon on the Mount. How should I act around my family? How should I act around my friends? How should I act in the workplace? Read the Sermon on the Mount because it is this treatise, this essay on righteousness and what Jesus' righteousness looks like. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like in human relationships you don't lust after another person. That's one of the things it looks like. It looks like forgiving your enemies. 
It looks like loving your enemy. That is rough. I mean, come on, Jesus, can't we just, you know, maybe just like a little one-two, right? I mean, don't you want to do that sometimes? You're like, justice! Did somebody threw the amen down? Yeah. You like have this like little boxing glove with like a lead weight in it, and you're like, God's justice, kabam! I mean, that's what we initially go to. Instead, when Jesus lays out the Sermon on the Mount, he lays it out in gentleness, which should not be mistaked for weakness. And I think a lot of times our world takes gentleness as weakness, but do you know what gentleness is? Gentleness is controlled power. It's restraint. It's self-control. It's controlled power. And so it doesn't mean that we are fully restrained and don't act. It means the actions that we do have are restorative. That they're meant to restore relationships. They're meant to restore communities. That our actions are meant to restore families. You know, even looking back, if you, look, if you were to study Romans 13, there's this big um, thing that's happening in Romans 13. One of the things that, that it is, is there's this tax revolt that the people are engaging on with Rome. And Paul is writing to them saying, don't act like everybody else. Everybody else is going out for revenge. Everybody else wants to go and and overthrow the government. Don't act like everybody else. Don't act in revenge. But act in God's justice. Respect the law of the land. That's where we get that whole phrase, respect the law of the land. Respect that. These are your governors. These are the people that that God has established all authority on earth. God, God has established that. So respect that. That's what justice looks like. Sometimes there's stuff in the Bible, you just like wish that it didn't say that. But Isaiah 42 describes this kind of Messiah, a kind of Messiah that is gentle, a kind of Messiah that restores, a kind of Messiah that gives life. See, the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus at the time is the gentleness of Jesus and the approachability of Jesus versus living up to the standards of the Pharisees' justice which was living by a strict set of rules. So loving justice is gentle. So if we want to be more like Jesus, more like our Messiah, more like the coming, the the Savior who has come, then we need to say, are we gentle in our approach? Are we loving in our approach? It doesn't mean we don't say things that need to be said. It doesn't mean we don't address things that need to be addressed. We do have to do that. But there's approach, there's an approach in it. And if you want, again, a very practical guide, spend some time with Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 and just hang out there for a while. Two, loving justice is global. I love what, this, what Isaiah 42 says about this. Loving justice is global. Let's look at verse 4. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. I love, I love this. Notice the extent of justice that the servant of God will bring. He will bring justice on the earth, even to the islands. And it's almost a way of saying, even to the furthest stretch of, uh, of, of land out there, even to the furthest reaches of the world, God's justice will be established. Justice um, that is loving does not draw boundaries. Justice that is loving does not draw boundaries. 
So many times we want to have our Christian boundaries or we want to have our church boundaries and we're like, I don't know if I could go to this community. God's justice goes there. God's justice does that. John Wesley exemplified this desire um, and, and he got in big trouble because he would, he would go out of his parish. The way that, the way that, um, that, that in the 1500s England was set up is parishes. And still in some parts of the world it's set up like this and, and some you know, well, actually a lot of religious traditions still set it up like this. There's little land areas that are boundaries. And, and John Wesley would get in trouble because he'd ride on his horse all around uh, England and, and, and revolution was happening. People were coming to know Jesus and, and, and he would constantly get in trouble and he would say, get back in your parish, Wesley. And he famously responded with saying, the world is my parish. This is how we ought to act. We're not restricted by by man-made boundaries. The world is our parish. And this gets easier and easier for us today. I've said many times before, this is, we are in the largest world migration since World War II. Larger than World War II, if you could believe that. We're in the largest migration of human population to other parts of the world. You can go down to downtown LA. You don't even have to go that far. And you could, you could encounter ever, like hundreds of languages at any point in time, I, I was amazed at this fact. At any point at time in Disneyland, there are 200 languages spoken every day. Can you believe that? God's justice is global. God wants us to go to the whole world. But the cool thing is, right now the world is coming to us. And as a church, we need to focus on a couple things. And one of those things, because of that, is the multi-ethnicity, reaching those from many different nations. Why? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Because that's what the kingdom looks like. When you go up in the wedding feast of the Lamb, do you think it's just going to be a bunch of white people sitting there? No. A bunch of Indonesian people sitting there? No. Not at all. You see, people of every nation and every tribe and every tongue sitting there, and, and we are best equipped to reach the world when we're reaching those who don't look like us. Because when we begin to reach them, they reach their families back home. They reach their people groups. We all have our people, right? They reach their groups and their groups and their groups. And, and really, uh, this giant world migration is setting the stage for the best global evangelism that the world has yet to see. The question is, are we going to be a part of that? And I, yes, we are. Thank you. I, can you come every Sunday morning? I love you. You can still come Sundays at 2. It's fine with me. Just come every, just sit right there and... Keep talking it up. God's justice, loving justice is global. I love this verse. He will not fear or be discouraged till he establishes justice on, falter or, I'm sorry, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. Let's go to verse, uh, f- verses five and nine. Loving justice is grounded in God. You might think, I, Okay, I can't be justice. The, I don't know how to do this. And you're right. You don't. <laughs> We're not wired naturally to do this. We have to overcome our sin nature to, in order to be justice to the world. Let's look at verses 5 and verses 9. We're going to break them up a little bit um, in this. This is, what the God, the Lord, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretched them out, who spread out the earth from all that springs from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. Verse 9 now. See, the former things 
have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I will announce them to you. What essentially this verse is saying is none of this has happened without me. None of my justice, this, the only reason my justice does come on this earth is because of me. And so if we are going to go be justice to the world, if we're going to show the world what justice looks like, then it's got to be grounded in worship. It's got to be grounded in God. It's got to be grounded in the Father if we're going to show this off to the world. In case we could be overcome or overwhelmed by the notion that loving justice is global, and when we look to verses 5 and 9, um, one of the things we see, this Old Testament scholar Terence Freetham says, what God will do on behalf of an abused and oppressed people is made a matter of divine promise. We have to remember that this is being spoken to an abused and an oppressed people. It's a divine promise. Maybe you're feeling that way today. Like, what is it that I could do? I feel so overcome with just, I can't do this. The reality is, when justice is, loving justice is grounded in God's glory, when it's grounded in, in who God is, grounded in God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That we can speak to the nations. That we can show off this justice that Jesus showed off in the Sermon on the Mount. That we could show off that righteousness. What we are called to do is not in our own strength. See, Christmas is about the coming of God's justice on earth. And it first needs to be a work of God in our own lives. It first needs to be a work of God in our own families. It first needs to be a work of God in our own relationships. With our own children, with our own spouses. And our own relationship with God. Loving justice needs to be grounded first in the love of God. Loving justice is about gathering together. Loving justice is about gathering together. Let me read verses 6 and 7 here. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. These are some of the most exciting verses in this, to me, some of the most exciting verses in this passage. And it's easy to think that justice is something that we do Monday through Saturday, and, and that justice is something that we do out there but not in here. But our gathering in worship is already the beginning of justice. Every Sunday, a gathering is meant to embody justice, where sins are condemned but sinners are forgiven, where people from different backgrounds are brought together and in unity of the blood of Jesus, where people from different economic, cultural, political, racial backgrounds can all come together and worship the same king. That is justice. Justice starts here. And then it says, we, we are a covenant people. It says, I, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Now, Jesus became that covenant, became the new covenant when he, when he died on the cross. But we are under that covenant promise. of People who live under this great and glorious God. But our gathering is not meant to be exclusive. 
The servant of justice brings a light to the nations. I love this verse. That it brings a light to the nations. Did you know that God's people were always meant to be a blessing to all people? One of the great failures of the Old Testament people uh, of God is that they turned inward and that they didn't go outward. That right in the very beginning of the covenant promise, I will bless you to be a blessing. And we see glimpses of it, uh, uh, of it working. It, when Jonah repents and goes to Nineveh and all of Nineveh said, we see glimpses of it and the way it was supposed to work, but it never fully worked until Jesus came. Until Jesus said, turned us outward to the world. It never fully worked. And Jesus even reminds his people. In the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 14, it says, um, it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He reminds them of Isaiah 42. Don't you remember what you were supposed to be? And the word you here in the New Testament is plural. In, in America, we, we use the word you as a very individualistic, singular word. It means you, right? And a particular person. But when Jesus is saying it, it, it is a plural word. And he's talking to, all, to, to the people of Israel who were there with him on this hill. And he said, you are a light. So, I mean, he would look at a church here today and say, you are the light of the world. You are God's mission. You are God's, you are God's plan. You are God's plan to bring salvation. You are God's plan to bring justice to the ends of the earth. You are God's light on a hill. And we forget that because of the individualism in which we see this word you. But when we look at that as a plurality, it's all of the church together. You are called to this. All of us are called to this. So we need to understand that God's justice is gentle. And we need to understand that it's, the intent is global. That is grounded in God's work for our lives. And that is also grounded in the gathering of God's people. That you are called to be a light. And lastly, loving justice is God's glory. Let me finish with this verse. It says in verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Finally, it is God who is glorified through his loving of justice. God's display of justice through the servant, his suffering servant, is what sets him apart from other gods. We have to remember, this is a world where other gods were all the time. And there was little idols set up, and they're living in, in a state in, in Babylon where other idols are being sold. They're being pressured to, to worship other gods. We read in the book of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar pressures them to, to worship a, an idol, a statue of himself. We have to remember that, um, that this is a, a scene in which God's glory, where we would all say, amen, yeah, God, God is glorious. We, we love God's glory. All that stuff this is not a singular religious world. This is a world of many gods. And I love this statement. It's almost like this line in the sand where God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. I love that he has brought, he brought his people this story of justice before it unfolded. He brought the these people who are in, living in injustice, this glimmer of justice that is coming. He's affirming, affirming his lordship in our lives. 
and making sure that there are no idols in our lives. Theologian Andy Crouch says this as a connection between idolatry and injustice. He says the connection between idolatry and injustice is very close. Idolatry always leads to injustice. When God's glory is the focus of our lives, we can cease, um, uh, we, we will cease, per, per, I'm sorry, perpetuating. For some reason, I'm getting hung up on that word, so let me restate this. Idolatry always leads to injustice. When God's glory is the focus of our lives, we cease perpetuating injustice and become agents of loving justice. Who you worship reflects what you will act like. Who you worship reflects what you will act like. And when we love, loving justice is God's glory. We have to remember that God's glory is over all of this. And we have to love God. And when we do that, we will then love justice. I think today there's a few ways in which we can respond. We all have our sense of justice, right? We all have this sense of like this knee-jerk reaction. Maybe it's a sense of revenge. Maybe it's a sense of, uh, you know, whatever. But maybe it's not righteousness. Maybe it's not restoring. Maybe it's not gentle. Whatever your sense of justice is, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you that maybe you need to lay down your own sense of justice and ask the God of justice to fill you with his sense of justice. Maybe you need to surrender your sense of that. Now, when you act in this world, does it reveal a God who forgives or a God that holds grudges? When you act in this world, does it reveal a God who lusts or a God who loves? What does it reveal about God? What do you reveal about God, the way that you act, the way that you speak, the way that you talk? What do you reveal about God? Is it justice? So today, as we close in prayer, I just want to invite you to lay yourself down this Christmas season at the altar and simply say, Lord, I need to reveal your justice better to this world. I mean, honestly, I need to work on this personally. My knee-jerk reaction so many times is not revealing justice, but is revenge or getting even or some twisted sense of that. And I need to lay that down too and say, Lord, I want to be a part of your justice in this world, of your restoring of this earth. Lord, I want to be a part of that. And so today I want to just encourage you to pray. So would you, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for the moment? I just want to invite you, the, this right now, I just want to invite you to say, to just between you and God, to respond however you want to respond. But maybe it's, I need to lay down my sense of justice and ask God to lead and direct my life. Maybe you're giving glory to things that should not ever have it. Remember what God says in Isaiah 42, he says, I will not yield my glory to another. Maybe you're giving your, that glory to some other. So this morning, if, if that's you, you just simply need to say, God, I need to be more gentle. Or I need to be more truthful. Whatever that is, I just want to invite you to give that up to God right now. Father, so many times we have our own sense of what justice is. 
God, I, wanna, I know that for me, when I hear of injustice, my initial response is probably unjust. It doesn't bring about more justice. It just perpetuates the cycle of injustice that keeps going and going and going. So Lord, I, I pray that when we are confronted with injustice, we, we simply stop and think. And we stop and ask you, Lord, what would your justice look like in this situation? Lord, and that we would act like that. Father, that we would lay down our idols of revenge and anger and hate. Lord, for we make these things into idols that we worship. Lord, would we lay that down at your altar? And Lord, today I pray that this church, that all churches around us, would be the light on the hill that cannot be hidden. Lord, that we would bring your justice to the earth in a gentle and a loving revolution that you started so many years ago. Lord, that we would suffer with those who suffer. Lord, that we would stand for those who cannot stand themselves. And Lord, we would speak for those who don't have a voice. God, would you use us this Christmas season and this year to be agents of your justice, your restoration, and your redemption of the entire earth. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.